Great morning, it's me, Lucia Gabriela here, Lucia Gabriela TV, the place to be where we come to learn everything we can about how to master love, our relationship, our sexuality, and this week we have an incredible lineup of speakers and teachers and mentors uh, literally helping us to understand more about what sexual healing is and what is not. So I'm really, really excited about today's speaker. Her name is Caroline Carrington. And she is the co-founder of Sarasa Tantra, which is a new school of Tantra, and is an international Tantra educator in Daikini. So I'm really honored to have um, Caroline here today. So let me just bring her with us. Here you are. How are you doing Good today? Morning. <laughs> so wonderful to get to start my day with you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much for all the work that you're doing and from all the wisdom and awareness and this passion, this mutual passion that is the collective and you're bringing in, you know, into your new school. So I'm really excited to learn more about you. So the first thing that we would like to ask you is like share a little bit about you. Uh, what do you do, how you work with clients and a little bit about the school that you're creating? Thank you so much. And I just want to honor you for creating this beautiful platform to explore these very important questions uh, to really support people in finding the right practitioners and teachers to work with because it's so, so important to be a mindful out there. So, yes, I, I have studied with multiple lineages and multiple teachers, and I practice both um, Neo-Tantra, which is this more Western-style Tantra, um, which has a focus on sacred sexuality, but I also weave in quite a lot of aspects of classical Tantra. So I'm, we're talking about the origins of this practice coming from India and uh, really working with the deities and working with mantras. And sometimes this isn't taught as much in the West. Um, it's not, I think it's a beautiful thing to focus on pleasure and how expansive that can be for the body. But Tantra is so much broader than just that. So I include all the juicy pieces, mm -hmm. and I, I like to e expand people's definition of what pleasure, of what sacredness, of what meditation even can be. Mm. And I practice predominantly out of the San Francisco Bay Area, um, although I teach all around the world. And I sort of have two streams. I teach workshops and uh, retreats. Um, and those sort of give people, I'm, I'm very well known for my pujas, for example, which are tantric rituals. Mm -hmm. And I love giving people a taste of the magic of this practice. And then I've created deeper dive trainings, like when we go away for a week, or now I started to train my own teachers and mentor my own students who want to offer uh, private sessions. And I also have a private practice. As you can see, I'm quite a busy lady. <laughs> But I love, there's so many ways this practice can support people, and I love meeting them where they're at. And my own journey into Tantra was really through the body and seeing the big shifts that could happen. Uh, I'm a trauma survivor, and uh, what I noticed was when we work through the body as opposed to just trying to figure it out through the mind, the change and the shifts were able to happen so much more quickly. And it was because of the power of my own healing that I got excited about offering that to others. 
Ah, you feel so yummy and delicious. <laughs> Your passion. <laughs> I can feel the energy. It's like, oh my gosh, so delicious. And I've been following you, you work for a while and your workshop always, like, I'm always like, oh gosh, she's in San Francisco somewhere else and like, very, very yummy. Yeah, sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for all of you who are watching us live, always check out Caroline's uh, workshop and uh, event because they're really fun. They're really like, when I read them, I'm really excited and they're also very inspiring. So really excited. So let's, we have a whole bunch of questions and for all our viewers, these questions are really important, not just for, uh, individuals who are looking for practitioners about sexual healing, trying to understand what it is, trying to figure out uh, who is the right practitioner for them or how to start, how to end or whatever. Um, but also a lot of our viewers are actually uh, practitioners that they, if we somehow, you know, as myself too, in our journey of working in this realm, we get confused and there's so much fogginess here and yeah. so much like what it is that she does, what it is that he does and like what it is that they don't do and like it is all the thing that we don't know what actually is sexual healing within ourselves. So it's really fascinating. So a lot of the questions may seem like they're repeating themselves, but actually when we look at them from a different perspective, uh, the same point of view from different perspective, different question will help, help us to create more clarity. So those are the intentions of repeating the question from a different angle. So if right. answer in a different way, bring more clarity and we're like, oh, wow, I learned something different. So bear with us, be patient, watch all this until the end because we really have great info here to share with you. So, Caroline, let's start with what is sexual healing coming from your perspective? Mm. Well, sexual healing for me as a practitioner is that we really start with an attitude of service. I, I call the people that come and see me students, not clients, because there's a huge educational component in what I do. But it's a, really about being of service to the needs of the person that's with you. And that's kind of a broad definition because um, sometimes sexual healing is about opening up a blockage in the heart that's holding them back, perhaps from an old trauma, or empowering them to use their voice. And I notice when I use mantras, for example, that opens up the voice and they can speak their yes and they can speak their no. Uh one of the taglines for my business is walking Tantra out of the bedroom and into the world. And I'm a big believer in this because if we have a powerful experience in the bedroom or in our bodies, that translates out to our whole whole life. Um, the way I work with bodies, I like to work with, with the physical body, with the energetic body and the emotional body, all as one unit. And... Sexual healing can come in a variety of different or present in a variety of different ways. You could work just with, I work a lot with the chakra system. So the energy centers in the body and clearing out blockages there. Um, but it can also be empowering people through the power of pleasure to become more alive and engaged in their body. So yeah, I think that's a good, good starting point. Mm, beautiful. So what is that sexual healing? 
Mm. <laughs> it's sometimes easier to start with that, right? What isn't sexual healing? While I fully believe that uh, intercourse can be a beautiful, sacred healing practice between lovers, in the realm of sexual healing, I don't think there's any place for intercourse. And I'm sure you have or will interview people that will contradict me. So there's a huge range of of uh, responses to this. But in my view, I see so many things go wrong when we have the genitals genital-to-genital contact, right? Uh, so I'd say intercourse in a session is not sexual healing. Uh, I think that's more about the agenda of the practitioner than it is about the student. Mm. And part of why I'm so clear on that is I'm yet to come across something in the realm of sexual healing that can't be done with the breath, with sound, with energy, or with the hands, right? Oral sex for me, while it can be delightful and yummy, to me is not sexual healing because, again, we're blurring the lines and what is the, why Why does that need to be included in a session? Uh, I actually had somebody who I was mentoring a, uh, a while ago ask that question and I said, go and look at your motivation. Why do you want to offer that? And it's actually against the rules of my school <laughs> to offer that in sessions. But but we went and looked at his motivation, and then would he offer that to people of all genders and just to anybody, not just the people he was attracted to? Yeah. And even he came. I allowed him. I gave him space <laughs> to come to his own realization why that, that wouldn't work. Um. Yeah, so I think those two things for me, I choose in my own sessions not to do any mouth-to-mouth kissing because I like the direction of energy to really be there serving the student. And uh, it's very hard for people to kiss one way and just receive a kiss. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful if people can, but when I first started teaching, I tried that, not even in session context, and people would kiss me back. So, yes, and then I also use one-way directed touch. And I'm not saying that that's the only way. Some people, you know, allow students to touch them. But for me, it's a very potent place to be when you can invite somebody into a deep experience of surrendering to just receiving Mm -hmm. without the need to give anything back. And so, again, when we engage one way directed touch, me touching the student, then it's also very, the boundaries get clearer and the focus is once again on the student, on their pleasure, right? I certainly can have an experience pleasure from giving, but that's almost incidental. That isn't the intention. Hmm. I love you point out... um few things here which I like to clarify for myself and maybe for whoever's watching um the aspect of like having sex where uh, the, the sexual act itself in my memory is such a like high 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 powerful and like superior sort of work that is it has to be so pure that there's no ego involved no shadow involved no nothing involved and to be honest to me it's like it, it will be re- really um 
and my industry like very I would say like maybe few 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 people even counted in this world that they can offer that at that level because it's so like you have to be so detached of and just be fully surrendering so I with all the attachments that can happen it could be such a dangerous situation to get yourself as even as a practitioner or even as a client and especially with somebody who has trauma and if they have experienced some kind of trauma with somebody, that attachment, that memory, that trigger, even if you have preparation, it's such a very um, dangerous song to work on um, unless, you know, you choose that. But it, it, to me, like, I resonate with you on that. And the other one that I really was like, wow, I didn't think of that before. Uh, if the practitioner self offers that, are they offering only to women? Are they offering also to men? Are they only off, also offering to transgenders? And right. I'm like, so that will, that question itself, it opens up like, whoa, okay, so is the practitioner, whatever that's it, I'm really make you think about it and question it in like a more clear way because now you can see the attachment to gender and sex or preference right which is yeah. really interesting yes yeah, so then we start moving out of the realm of healing yeah. and into attraction right and into our own desires and now for me we're losing the focus on the student yeah. which is really what it's meant to be all about anyway so uh, yes i agree with you and, and when i when i mentor darkers and dakinis or those wanting to be duckers and duckinis, they're actually invite, invited to work with a full range of genders. They have to learn the techniques for all the genitals, you know, the full body strokes too, but all the genitals. They can ultimately decide how they want to offer their practice because, you know, everybody gets to design their offering. But they have to at least learn and make an informed choice and notice what arises in them to get clear on this very issue. Yeah. What is it about giving to somebody who has genitals different than mine? What does that evoke in me? And what is my motivation? That's actually how I start one of the first days of the training. Why do you want to do this work? What is your motivation? And I think it's very important because, you know, for example, um, sexual surrogates. I have friends that are surrogates. That's beautiful, powerful work in the world. Yeah. And, you know, surrogates, as I imagine you know, work in conjunction with a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's powerful work. But the kinds of students that are ready, in my opinion, for Tantra, are not the same as those working with the surrogate. And I, I, I don't mean to make a hierarchy. They're just a different level of functionality and what they're ready for. And I've had students come and see me for sessions, and I've said to them, you know, you're, you're not ready for what I'm offering. Uh, I think you're going to come to that in some Yeah, we're going to come to that, to that following question, but we're going to answer these two questions first. How do you know sexual healing is for you? Hmm... Well, when I have people call me, I ask them, you know, what inspired you to pick up the phone? Like, how did you find me and what inspired you? And there's sort of three avenues why people would come for Tantra. And Tantra can be sexual healing, but isn't always, right? So I can sit at my altar 
and bow before the deities, and that is Tantra. Or I can um, lead puja, for example, to my a room full of students, and that is Tantra. But it's not sexual healing. So sexual healing can be a component of it. But mm. Tantra for me is bigger than that. And um, in, in the realm of sexual healing, some of the kinds of things, and there's a list on my website people can go and look at, that they'd come for. If there's some kind of sexual challenge you're having, could be, for example, an inability to orgasm. Although for me, I have a lot of people that ask, can I... Help me have a better orgasm. <laughs> and orgasm is a very big thing because is that, at least in, in tantric terms, is that a vaginal, clitoral, cervical, anal, uh, penile orgasm, blended orgasm, full body orgasm, energetic orgasm, heartgasm, third eye, right? There's so many it opens it up. So normally they're having um, some kind of sexual challenge or relationship challenge. And I tend to have a lot of trauma survivors that, that come to see me. Um, and that's part of why I said that the healing part can be just clearing out the blockages in these energy centers and then allowing that energy to move more freely, right? And for them to feel more empowered to ask for what they want. Um, but some, I'll, I'll give specific examples. People come that are premature ejaculators, for example. So they want to learn how to last longer. Or they, um, maybe they have erectile dysfunction. And I don't use that term as a judgmental word, but just, you know, that's the kind of industry standard so far. So they're having a hard time maintaining an erection. And that is so much shame. So much shame wrapped up in that. Or perhaps they've had um, a lot of women hold a lot of emotion and also sexual trauma in their second chakra, so right in the genital region. And we work with that energy center to help free up the memories from the past, which can then empower them to have more beautiful sex lives and, and to feel in their body. Because trauma survivors especially, many have learned to disassociate and leave the body. Um, and even if you're not a trauma survivor, so many people are just here. Yeah. And the West glorifies us being in our heads. But we're this whole body system. And if you want to really be able to experience the most amount of pleasure, be it with yourself or with a partner or many partners, if that's your choice, you've got to be able to feel and tap into what's really happening in the body. Mm. So I hope that gives you some answers. It's a big, it's quite a big question, really. It is, it is. And, and that's why we're doing all these questions after each other, just to like bring them to more clarity, more clarity. But each answer always brings something more inspiring. There's like, you know, when you learn in person, or even you video, I love video, it's like, when you listen to somebody or you watch them expressing themselves, there's a different level of of energetic activation and memory and, and like awareness and consciousness that is playing in the field that it is just so juicy. It is so juicy just to get to that 
surrender to your words and be like, oh, wow, take me to that journey. I'm like, yes, <laughs> more, more of this, please. Definitely. Uh, something that I want to bring into is, you know, the aspect of orgasm. I always have felt, I always have come to this idea or this insight that to me, orgasm, doesn't matter what kind of orgasm it is, is like that instant uh, remembering of how infinite we are. So it's like <clears throat> such a beautiful memory of like, it's a, it's a quick instant memory. But if we have the energetic orgasm, it's like 45 minutes, right? Memory. <laughs> but it's like, but it's that memory of how infinite we are. And when we have that wave or ecstasy and joy and excitement and bliss, it's like, how can you come back to your body and not be happier and joyful and fulfill and how can you come back to your body and be angry <laughs> it's like when you you have taste what actually maybe god and your source feels like so um that's to me like an orgasm so let's go to the following question which is how do you know it is not for you uh, <clears throat> so i think and when i work with people I really am watching how present they are in the body and giving people practices to support them in dropping in, right? Um, if you if you have active trauma running, like if, if you're in a full-blown trauma response or perhaps you even have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you need to go and do some work first. And I work with therapists in conjunction with therapists all the time and would refer out. So if it's like, I'm going to use a, an intense example, but, you know, if you were raped a week ago, it's probably, it's too raw and too fresh to come and see me. Your nervous system is probably too dysregulated. And we could maybe work with some breath, but I would send you to a trauma specialist for like some EMDR, for example. Um, uh, so that's one example. If trauma is, is right there and still very, very actively present. And the reason I say that is often that the nervous system is already under so much duress. And when we work with breath, breath and when we work with energy, we actually are attuning to the nervous system and trying to help it initially downregulate and then raise the energy and raise the activation. But you want to be able to come back down, right? I wouldn't ever want to put somebody into a, a deepened trauma response. So uh, another thing that I would also watch for is if, if you're, if the person is disassociating mm -hmm. and I track for that quite readily. I, I watch energetically and I, I see people leave and I, you know, I'll give them, I'll give them practices to help them feel safe and to invite them back to be home in their body. But for example, I had a gentleman come out from New York to work with me and he'd come out for an intensive and he'd book five sessions in a week. And I said to him, and he was new to Tantra and I said, you know, that's going to be a very intense practice and let's just see where that goes. Cause normally I say you do a session in, in a week, but he was coming all this way and his words kept saying to me that he was a yes, but he wasn't able to, uh, have a, a sip of water that I offered him. He wasn't willing to eat a piece of fruit. He, 
he he wouldn't do the breathwork practices that I gave him much in the session or even when I explained it and then suggested he practice at home before he came to see me again. And he was asking for some pretty in-depth um, sexual touch. And eventually I said to him, you know, your words are giving me consent, but your actions are not giving me consent. And you're not, I don't feel like you're ready. So you're welcome to come back in, you know, six months or a year. Or I'm suddenly getting an actor. Okay. Uh, so I just said, I just said, and I would have had decreases. I work slowly with people, but, but yeah, he just, he wasn't at a yes, even though his words were a yes. Yeah, I would look at disassociation if the person isn't able to be present in the body. And I think if somebody is incongruent in their words and then either their actions or if the body keeps shutting down and is just a no, um, again, sorry, that's, I'm thinking of all the cases now. It's, it's quite nuanced because I had a, a trauma survivor come and see me the other day, a man who had been raped actually, and he we just had to he had all these wonderful ideas about where we'd go in the session and I had to just hold his heart and breathe and stay with a lot of stillness because that's all his nervous system could happen or could um handle on that day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I actually speak to people for about half an hour on the phone, 20 minutes to half an hour on the phone, before they even come in and see me to really get a sense if it's the right thing for them. Or perhaps there's a different modality. And when I'm working with students, if after, say, five sessions, they're still not able, they're disassociating so much that they're not present in their body, I have therapists I refer out to for EMDR, which is a... A trauma, a, a way to work with trauma that can interrupt the patterns. And then once they're able to be present here, and I often say so that I'm not scraping them off the ceiling energetically, then we can actually do, then we can actually get back to the body and, and do the work there. Hmm. So you, <clears throat> you already answered a bit of the next question, but we're going to cl- get clear here with that because are there level stages of sexual healing? Are there levels or stages? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how to put that into words. Um, probably the number one thing that I teach couples that are wanting to do work on each other or when I'm working with somebody, is learning to slow down enough so that their nervous system can handle what's happening. Mm. So one of the definitions of trauma, for example, is that it's beyond our system's ability to handle the stimulation or the activation that's happening. So we're on overload. That's a layperson's definition more than the DSM. But 
an overview of a first session is that I actually get people to sit. So we've done a half an hour call in the beginning just to see if I'm the right fit and if they feel comfortable with me and then to get some idea of the direction the session may take. But then when they come and see me, we sit down and talk for at least half an hour, about 45 minutes. So we can go over their boundaries. We can go over their their trauma history, their family history, their relationships, the challenges that are coming up. Because people may not even be aware of their own trauma. I remember a student coming to me and I said, do you have any sexual, spiritual, um, emotional or physical trauma? And she said no. And then as I started asking her about her marriages that had failed and her family, I mean, it all just came out. And she, she it just wasn't conscious to her that that was, you know, that those were traumatic experiences, at least. Um then there's to teach people to breathe. Most of us don't breathe. And how are we going to move emotion or how are we even going to move energy? And a lot of the work, while I include a physical component so people can feel, you know, on the tangible level, a lot of what I do is energetic. Mm-hmm. And I really want them engaged in the process of breathing. Uh and it's it's probably easily let me just work this out like at le- about an hour and fifteen minutes. I do longer sessions; they're like three hours because I I hate this in and out ninety minutes so quick. Yeah, and you just eat to the stuff. And I don't know if you've ever had this in a coaching session or in therapy, and you're just getting into the good stuff, and then they're like, "Okay, well, time's up. We'll see you next week." Yeah, that can be especially in the realm of sexual healing. We want to make spaciousness yeah my sessions are four hours so (laughs) you get thank you oh i love hearing that because i think there are a lot of schools that are training people get them in get them out get them in and that's just a profit driven model and we're dealing with people Mm -hmm. bodies and slow yeah and the integration and the integration process it has to be with other practitioner in there to begin with they have to have a space to integrate without with themselves processing. So, you know, between three to four hours, three hours work with the practitioner and another hour just being. <laughs> just integrating. Well, I often say to people, the work doesn't stop when we close our physical space together because this is, I'm going to speak about some esoteric things, but this is very potent and the energetics keep working. I say, like, it can be a few days or up to a week after the session. So I I do a lot of deep grounding and allow them to integrate at the end. And then we sit and chat because the way I work is I, I glorify the mind first because we're so used to that in the West. Mm-hmm. And we do kind of an energetic dump from the mind. So yeah. we give them space to talk and be comfortable. And then we use the breath to dive into the body. And then pleasure to start awakening the body and expanding the pleasure potential to use pleasure as this vehicle for transformation. Because mm. it's a really fun way to work on your stuff. It's kind of hard. And I'm not knocking therapy. I go to therapy. So I'm not. I think it's great to have to have that. But it's it has its limitations. Yeah. And to to 
work it through the body and to use pleasure to open you up is a wonderful way to get to work on your stuff, right? Uh, so then really allowing people to drop in and at the end, again, coming back up to the vine, so right brain to left brain, to then anchor in for them. What are the bigger ha's? What did you learn? And I give, I always say homework, but I've got to find a better word because I don't want it to be drudgery for people. But I give them something to keep practicing, even in between the times we see each other. Because we shouldn't have them dependent on us. The goal is to empower the student and ultimately to graduate them so they don't need us anymore. Yeah, they Or, you know, I have students that work with me, severe trauma students. For I had somebody work with me for two years, for example. So, Yeah, so you offer them rituals for them to take home and practice it. Ritual or pranayam, or it, it really depends. I mean, sometimes they are these, you know, these tantric techniques, and I notice, especially with women that have that have um, had sexual trauma, often from a young age, their voices are shut down, and we can play with the gentleness of mantra, which is powerful, mm-hmm. but sometimes they need to just scream. Right? Yeah. Which doesn't sound like very tantric, but Kali is, you know, she's one of the goddesses that's really intense. And we'll practice that in the session where I get them to scream that at, or no, you know, if you don't want to use fuck. But sometimes fuck is necessary. Mm-hmm. I love fuck. What's that? I love fuck. <laughs> right. Well, it's a, it, it has energy behind it, right? And then I get them to go home and keep practicing using their voice because even get even saying no can be so hard for people who've never who, who've sort of had that taken away from them. So yeah, there's a whole range of homework, but then it allows them to keep that journey continuing. And then instead of going back to the baseline in our next session, we're already moving up up a notch. So the journey progresses. Beautiful. So. Next question is, is genital work a part of sexual healing? If yes, at what stage of the process, beginning or advanced levels? So I think the answer is that it can be and that it doesn't have to be. Now, our genitals give us so much pleasure and so much fun. And most people's maps for any kind, like if you say sexual healing, they immediately think of the genitals. And our mm-hmm. genitals, our yonis and our lingams and all the other delicious parts are, are beautiful, wonderful, amazing receptors and nerve endings and beautiful parts to play with. But the whole body, really, when we expand the pleasure potential, like there's so much more we can enjoy. And... Um, I do a lot of, I mean, I work with all of the chakras, but in almost all of my sessions, we do work with the uh, second chakra. And just for those of you who don't know, who who might be new to Tantra and don't know what chakras are, they energy centers in the body. um, And if you're not even sure what this energy stuff is that we're talking about, they're actually nerve ganglions. They're clusters of these nerves where the chakras come together. So there's, there's a physical anatomical um, reflection of what's happening on in the energetics. And I frequently start my 
sessions with a hand on the heart, and I have them lying face down, and on the sacrum. Now, you can connect right into the second chakra just by touching the sacrum. That's very safe. That's non-invasive. And it's like you can actually get quite a lot of sexual juice going if you're just getting, if you're just stimulating that and using energetic principles like yantras to activate. I threw something in for the more advanced students um, (laughs) that are tuning in. But even just rocking, if the person's, I'm going to rock, there we go, face down, and you're rocking their pelvis, if they have a lingam, that's gently being stimulated without me touching it, if they're laying face down. And the same thing for the yoni, we're opening the pelvis. And I'm using the Sanskrit words, I'm sure you're familiar with them, but if you don't know what lingams and yonis are, go and Google that. (laughs) But we like to bring honoring using those words. Um, So... You can actually start activating both that energy center, but also the genitals, and I'm not even touching. And it's a very gentle way to begin opening and accessing. And then I support the body in opening through touch, through depending on the boundaries they've given me, but if they give me permission, pretty much the whole body. And then again, once I've, once they turn over, if that's what happens in the session, but often there's a space where they move onto their back and we start accessing the front body. I frequently, and this is, I'd say it's predominantly, um, with people with pussies. And I'm using that word now because I like to be really inclusive and not everybody operates in the gender binary. So I work a lot with the mound. And what I mean by that is, I don't sort of have a diagram now, but like where the pubic bone comes out, just above, if the clitoris is sitting, I need need an anatomy drawing, but if the clitoris is sitting here, mound is here, and the opening to the the vagina is here, um, yeah, I work here. Because once again, I don't even have to touch the vulva. I don't even have to touch the clitoris to start accessing the second chakra. And there's so much emotion and often so much shame and shutdown and blockage and old memories that are held there. Yeah, I just want to share something that you mentioned because I'm so excited about that. And I was just going to put it out there here because it is something that even in the trainings of massage therapy, they don't teach this. And a lot of people really freak out when they do abdominal work because one of my biggest things when I work with clients, especially for massage, when they just come for massage, we do a lot of abdominal work because abdominal work it has a lot of vital organs. We have great nerves. We have like we open up the body. We're working with the second chakra and the third chakra. We also open up the part of the heart. We're working with the core of the body for the person to really expand. A great therapist will work with your abdominal before they work with your back. Because that's where the opening of the body happened. So, yeah, so so it was just fascinating because I'm just going to show it to you. You know, when you're talking about bringing people into, this is the body anatomy of it. When you bring people into, there are two major nerves, like two major nerves right here. They're called the genital nerve that right there where you talk about like bringing, you know, I'm bringing my finger over here. This nerve right here, you see this nerve right here and the nerve over here, those are the two major nerves that we have with the genital nerve. 
They don't teach this in massage school. They don't teach this anywhere. And that's why, like, the work that you're saying, this powerful work of just working with the sacrum, working with these this area, putting them, like, facing down, is actually helping to activate and normalize the nerve system that is the genital nerve system. And right. that is the power of the work when you're talking about like, I'm just touching this area over here. I'm not even touching here. I'm just touching the okay. area above and the area around because we have major nerve systems related to our sexuality that literally bring us to arousal, or pleasure without even going into the genitals. Right. So. And it's not going to make touching the genitals wrong because mm -hmm. that can be powerful. Yeah, but I think so often, and this is this is true of people having sex in general. But I think it also can be true of of tantra practitioners. We're in such a rush, and we're trying to people. Uh, I'm actually not going to include myself because I really do try and slow down. But for me, tantra is about letting go of the goal, and letting go of the agenda, and being with what is. Mm. So, what's the what's one of the lineages I was trained in, a lot of the work was around you had to activate the G-spot and you had to get in there. I can touch the G-spot on the mound externally. Yeah. <laughs> the anatomy is here. Exactly. The anatomy is here. We don't have to touch your clients here. We can literally touch just this area around where the nerve system is and help to activate the anatomy of the body. It's Yes. It, it, I mean, it's it, it beautiful to do the work of the genital, but when we, it's like, when we understand the biology and anatomy of it itself, it's, it helps us to expand ourselves as practitioners. So, beautiful work, beautiful. I love, I love you brought that up because <laughs> I'm so excited. I was just printing out this yesterday because I have a whole bunch of, like, mad anatomy up for abdominal because, like, especially here in Florida, you know, it's really rare that you go to a massage therapist and they work your abdominal. Really rare. Really rare. Like, there is a Chinese modality. I'm going to say it wrong, but like, me. She has say, to. She has to? Yeah, but there's a special modality. I'm, it's three words that I can't pronounce very well. Me, say. I wish <laughs> I. Anyway, but they actually focus on predominantly working on on the like they go into the organs through the abdominals yeah. so had that work yeah. done but I, i'm just i'm not a massage yeah. person so so definitely is um it's beautiful that's why i even say like if i can just even say that getting a good abdominal massage is part of sexual healing <laughs> but i have to be careful because under regulations of massage therapies you know you have to be really really, really careful and it's just like how this how our society has really shamed the work that we do in a very educational way. So, um, yeah. So let's go to the next one. I know that you answered this question already, but let's just get more clear because some people will always come up with this word. Okay. So it's having sex with a client considered sexual healing because a lot of people talk about the sacred prostitute. You know, a lot of people waking up into, oh, I've been a sacred prostitute from ancient Egypt, or I have been a sacred prostitute from Rome and Greece, and I remember being that, and I know my calling is to be a sacred prostitute, which is beautiful, and having the memories and um, all that. So if yes, should we offer the beginning of the journey of advanced level? So what is your in intake and perspective on that? 
Mm. We could have the whole call just on that question alone. so I, I think it's beautiful and amazing if people have access to these memories from past lives. And that's incredible. I think the... I'm just slowing down to make myself slow down to answer this question. When people talk about sex, they so often think it's about putting one bit in another bit. Mm-hmm. And I use that specifically because it's not necessarily gender, yeah, or heteronormative specific. But in Tantra, the view of what sex even is becomes so much bigger. Mm. So literally, I can have an orgasm from a breath. Yes. So (laughs) is that sex or isn't that sex? In my worldview, when we're just moving energy with all of our clothes on, that can be, when you're moving this kundalini, that can be incredibly sexual. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just this right now could be very... So I just want to invite this inquiry into like sex is bigger than just one bit and the other bit. But I think what you're asking is around intercourse, like mm-hmm. is, you asked about the sacred prostitutes. And I, uh, intercourse for me is an incredibly sacred experience that as I've deepened my own journey in Tantra, I've actually become more and more in awe of the power of the magic of that practice because when you are dialed in and I consider myself a reasonably advanced practitioner now um, so even when I when I enjoy let's call it intercourse in my own life like when you have let's say I'm thinking in this moment of a lingam up inside that wand of light is a really powerful conductor of energy all the way up to the stratosphere it's kind of mind-boggling so I've actually probably become more conservative because I understand, and even in my personal life, like the power of that practice. This is not insignificant energy that we're playing in. And as you, you referenced it earlier about attachment, right? So I think we have to be very mindful walking in with a student because Let's just step back for a moment. And like I don't offer intercourse in my sessions. But even if I'm just using my hands, and even if we're using a really expanded view of orgasm, if I give somebody the most ecstatic orgasmic experience of their life, the very first time they come and see me, there's going to be a certain amount of imprinting or transference, and I'm amping up as I go, and attachment, that can happen even just from that alone. Mm-hmm. And that's just with me using my hands. Yeah. Even, and this happens with therapists or coaches or even teachers. I find this even when I teach my workshops. The minute you stand up at the front of the stage, transference is happening, and they're like, oh, you're so amazing. <laughs> seeing just a snapshot of who you are, they're not necessarily seeing all of you. You know, I'm in the archetype of Dakini when I'm there, and they're not getting to see all my insecurities and, you know, all of my humanity because mm-hmm. it's, it's not relevant. So I and I know this is a long answer, but these, these conversations are so nuanced. 
So when people come to me, let's say a couple come to me and they say, oh, we want to have, like, we want to learn about this transcendental sex. Like, how do we have that? Even with a couple, I slow them down. And couples don't have intercourse in my sessions. Couples that Mm -hmm. are together because they know how to do that mostly at home. Yeah. Right? And there might be some things they need support on, but let's slow down. And if your partner can touch your elbow with awareness, Mm. right? Imagine what they can do to your frenulum. Yeah, I'm like, don't even mention it. I'm like, already. (laughs) Like, just having the awareness on my elbow, I'm like, already in it. happen when you touch a g-spot or a prostate with that mm-hmm. much awareness. but most people have we touch so unconsciously when i first came to tantra i touched on unconsciously too so slowing it down so we can enjoy each exquisite moment and expand the possibility yeah so coming back to the sexual healing and, <laughs> and uh, i'm passionate about the subject so you know, even before you approached me to do this, I spent a lot of time thinking about these pieces. And I just watch how students already struggle, even when I have such clear boundaries. Not to, I tell them I don't fall in love with my students. We energetically, I do a ritual to separate. And even so, it's so hard for them. Mm-hmm. So I think intercourse is, is a very advanced practice. It's beautiful, but to be able to stay focused on the energetics mm-hmm. and to be having genital to genital contact, it's not impossible, but it does take quite a lot of skill. Yes. Right? And even in my personal life, and I, in my personal life I play and engage with, with pretty advanced partners, even right at the heights of the greatest peaks in intercourse, it's very hard for some of them to just stay focused. I well, mean, predominantly stay connected to the energy. Even, and I play with pros, right? Yeah. So that's, I would say that takes quite a lot of time and practice and breath work, you know, and nothing to do with sex before you're ready for that. Um, and I'd also, once again, I would say I have heard hundreds of cases where it has gone so wrong. I had a beautiful doctor who I even received a session from him and his sessions went beautiful. And he told me he was sharing the pain in his heart. A woman had come to see him and ahead of time had consciously decided they wanted to include intercourse. So, you know, before any sexual energy was running uh, and they, you know, with their clothes on, they decided this would be a good thing. And so in the session, he incorporated it. And a week later, she came back and she was so upset. She felt she had been violated. And neither of them, I mean, he's not a violating person at all. He's a beautiful practitioner. But the margin for error is so great. Yes. Even with surrogates, surrogates don't have intercourse with you on the first session. Sometimes they don't even in six months. Oh, so yes. this rush to get there. I always call it like the superhighway. We already know how to mainline to the genitals. Have we actually mainlined into our hearts first? Are we actually sharing intimacy? When you and I are getting juicy just talking and we're like (laughs) across the country. Like can you cultivate that first? Yeah. And then adding layers. 
So I have not yet seen a practice that can't be done with the breath, the sound, um, with beautiful touch, with the hands, and the energy. I, I, I just, I haven't come across it. Yeah, I still, I went to a, a facilitator's training, and I saw one of the mentors, um, these, it was the 68, uh, the dance of the, uh, the dance of the daikini or something like that, it was, like, they were clothed, like, they were beautiful clothed, but they were, like, 68 positions, <laughs> and I tell you that they were clothed, 68 positions in different parts of the body, like, the whole breathing and the whole part, it was so ecstatic and beautiful that all of us who were witnessing, it was like, whoa, is this possible? <laughs> and of course, because we do energetic sex, right? Like with, with you know, when we right. have playtime. And it was just so beautiful. I like, just see them like not separate the, their body at all, but going through 68 positions and oh. building that arousal, building the energy, the orgasmic energy. It was just beautiful and fascinating and no genital touch at all. It was just the body connected, you know, body, you know, yum yum connection and then going into the heart and then going to the back and going, going to the side and getting every single part of the body, the crown, every, you know, their eye, the crown, every part. It was such beautiful. And what is that? Even just <laughs> transmission in the talking. I love, <laughs> I love it. it. And <clears throat> what I love about why you mentioned about the aspect of the attachment of it, like when you said, like, you show up at a daikini, um... It is true to the point that, you know, people fall in love with the archetype that we show up. They don't see my shadow. The <laughs> one of the first thing I, I show everyone, I introduce everyone is my shadow <laughs> because like you you cannot fall in love with my shadow. <laughs> I mean, we get my archetype, but you don't fall in love with the shadow because it's not possible for me to be in any relationship like that. So it is true, like many, many students fall in love with the archetype. So for all of you who are watching, really, really uh, pay attention to this within yourself. You know, even in your personal life, in your intimate life, who are you falling in love with? The archetype of the person or, you know, a part of them or the wholeness of them? So that's another topic for another day. So let's go with <laughs> congenital work. Um, you know, when we're talking about genital work, and now we bring orgasms. So, should orgasm be a part of the healing itself? Should be expected or not? Again, I'm going to ask, this is rhetorical, but like what is orgasm? Mm -hmm. So I would explore that in conversation with the student first. But if we're talking about, let's just imagine that you're talking about genitally focused orgasms um, right now. I think they can be part of the session, but I'll, I'll let you and your viewers in on a little secret. It can feel like pressure if there's this attachment to the goal. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the, um, well, there are two sort of distinctions, and I geek out on this stuff, but between energetic sex and tantra. So energetic sex, bo both of them have a lot of energy that's possible, but in energetic sex, there does feel like quite an attachment to the goal. And often, orgasm is part of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And in Tantra, we like to expand what orgasm, and I mean genitally focused orgasm, expand the possibility of what orgasm can even be. And it includes ritual and a releasing of attachment to the goal. Now, 
if somebody wants to come and have, let's say, an ejaculation, that can be a really potent, powerful place. We can practice uh, things like sex magic. Um, we can we can practice um, just having permission to be honored and celebrated in your pleasure. Or, you know, there are some people that have never had an orgasm before. That is true. They're women that this hasn't happened to before. So it, I really look at, like, why? What, it, what is this about? And for people with penises, um, I, I love teaching ejaculation control and mastery. And from the very first session, I'm already starting to teach the pranayama, the breathwork practices, to support them in shifting the energy, right? And... Uh, then we'll see where the session goes for them. But I want them to start getting this idea that it can be beyond just a release. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an, a wonderful organization called the Human Awareness Institute, and they, they talk about sex can be wiggle, wiggle, pop, right? And sometimes that's all it is, one, two, three, and it's all over. And nobody's particularly satisfied, and I often say it's not even worth putting my makeup on for that. Like, really? <laughs> you know, I want to be able to explore and be in the throes of intimacy, connection, and passion for hours. Mm -hmm. So if we learn to practice speeding the energy up, and then slowing it down and inviting it to rise again and then fall. This now creates another whole shift. So I never shame people for uh, orgasm because it, it can be this beautiful thing. And, you know, again, I really listen to what the needs, what is the need, why are they coming to see me? I had a man come and see me and his his wife was um, chronically ill and she had dementia and they hadn't had sex for 15 years and, you know, she was really losing her mind. So it, it, it wasn't possible for him to have intercourse with her. Like, And he did have many releases in our time together. And with him that was appropriate because he was holding so much the grief of the loss of her and the and who she was as a person, their relationship, the fact that she was dying, like, and he was so stressed and not sleeping, like, this was a way for him to surrender and let go. So in that context, then it became more appropriate. But if I feel somebody is coming more for um, what's often called FBSM or uh, full body sensual massage, it's often called like a rub and tug, like people just want to get in, get off, get out. That's not Tantra, and that's not what I'm offering. That's Honestly, for me, it's a little bit boring. It's too one-dimensional. Yeah. I want to go for more of the juice. And if after the first session I can see that that's really what they want, I'll say to them, and I still teach them Tantra, but you can see they don't really want to breathe, they don't really want to talk about their life, like, you know... <laughs> Then I say to them, you know, you can, you can, there are lots of women that offer beautiful sensual massage and you can be in and out in half an hour. But with me, we're going to really slow down and I, I want to explore as many parts of you as you're willing to share with me. Mm. So 
yes, orgasm can be part of the session, but I always look when a student's becoming attached to orgasm, what is that about? Yeah. Because um, even for a woman who's struggling to have orgasm, for example, or somebody with a yoni, you don't have to be a woman, um, they sometimes that whole attachment to, oh, and the anxiety, like, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? That can actually push the orgasm further away. And I noticed for people with penises, it's a similar thing like, am I going to be able to stay hard? Can I stay hard? Oh, am I losing my erection? If we just take all that pressure off and be with the sensations and noticing how much we can amplify pleasure, that, I mean, 80% of the guys that come and see me that are on Viagra don't even need to be on it. No. Because we Right, and that, there are cases. There are cases where it's really necessary, but it's so overprescribed. So, yeah, if you really start awakening the whole body, then huge shifts. And if you work with the energetics, you can help pump energy in that area. Mm. I can see you getting this all the way to Florida. Okay. <laughs> You're like loving it. And and for all of you who are male viewers, I love you guys so much, all my male viewers, because. One of the things that men don't understand, or they, if they are not in this realm of tantra, sexuality, and all of sexual sexuality, sometimes people, uh, men feel like, what, what, I can't, can I experience an orgasm and not be erected? Oh, and, and I ejaculate, what is that, what, 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 can I do that? <laughs> and yes, you can. <laughs> so, so yeah, to all our male viewers, just, like Cal and Sharon, I just slow down and expand your body. So now, this is the question that created the whole series because it's so important right now oh, what's happening. The shadow of the communities are coming to the surface, which I love because like we're doing cleaning work right now, <laughs> like more clarity, you know. That's the joy of it. Yes, <laughs> and I'm like loving it. Like I love to see the, all these because like, oh, I honestly, for years, I have been like inviting the universe to help to restore the sacredness of the work that we do. From the beginning, I started this work. You know, when I started this work, I didn't even go in it. I actually had a channeling with one of my mentors and, and I was, can we restore Tantra again? I'm here to restore Tantra. That's it. <laughs> so, and we went into that. I didn't care about like, I didn't care about my future. I didn't care anything. My question was, okay, when are we going to restore Tantra? And yeah. the challenge that we got from ancient Egypt and the masters and all that stuff that are with me all the time and blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, it is coming. It is coming. So, you know, when they say it's coming, right? Like, you don't know 10 years, 20 years, 100 years from now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm really excited. So, the question is, <laughs> what are the code of... Just with your joy. <laughs> I'm bringing I... that in. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and I'm really so blessed. I'm really so grateful for this time that we live in to restore the sacredness. I'm really so passionate. So, the question is, what are the code of ethics sexual healers should have with clients, even for those who offer sexual work as part of it? Well, I am in big conversations with people around the world on this very issue. And, um, 
you know, there, there are organizations, and this is not Tantra, but it's, it's body work, um, like sexological body workers. And they do, they have very clear, delineated, like, this is how you do the practice. And it's normally done on a massage table. The practitioner stays closed. They wear gloves. It's one way direct to touch. And it's very clear. And you can't say you're offering sexological body work without following those protocols. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a lot of value to that. Yeah. Um, I I don't want quite as many restrictions. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I, you know, I love to touch a body without having gloves on my hands unless a student wants that. And in Tantra, we use a lot of partner engagement where we eye-gazing. And, and I learned something fascinating, if I can diverge for a second. I was just with Peter Levine, one of the leading experts on trauma. I yeah. was in a workshop with him this weekend, and he talked about – he was so tantric. It was amazing. See, I was ha- having little orgasms in my chair listening to how tantric his teachings were. But mm. he was saying the amount of co-regulation that can happen just through eye-gazing alone – is really profound. Yeah. Our nervous systems can really learn to regulate with somebody else just with eye gazing alone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that just blew me away because we've been taught this in Neo Tantra all the way along, but there's actually science behind it. Like yeah. the science is agreeing and the nervous system is agreeing. Anyway, back to your original question. Oh, code of ethics. So I would actually love it. I do not want to run this body. I am very passionate about having more integrity in the Tantra world and really up-leveling and bringing anything that's in the shadows up into the light. It's why I started my Tantra school because I I didn't have any way I felt comfortable referring my students. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to send them somewhere that I didn't think was safe. So I created something so that I could hold myself and my co-teachers and then my the students that I mentor accountable. Um, so again, coming back to this first piece of it, we need to be of service and keep that as the primary goal. In, in yoga, this is often called um, karma yoga or seva. And seva is the selfless service because it's not actually about us. Our pleasure or whatever happens for us or even the healing we might receive is incidental. So be in service to the other person. I do think a a, a period of time needs to be honored uh, between them being your student and then shifting the container of that relationship. And I think that period needs to be quite significant. And in the circles, I mean, we're debating that a lot. Like, what is that time period? And... um, uh, Margot Anand in Sky Dancing Tantra actually has quite a beautiful and very detailed uh, code of ethics. Um, and in there, I think she she specified uh, two months was all people needed. And that was my only challenge with her ethics. I thought two months was way too short. Yeah. So what I have for my workshops is I have um, a minimum of six months. But I tell my students, I'm not available to date you. I, I speak that in the field. I make it really clear. And honestly, as practitioners, we need to look at, like, why we would want to be dating a student. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible that somebody would be that advanced. But most of my students couldn't handle all the shakti I bring, all the energy. And, like, they don't know how to play at the advanced places I play. 
yet. They could get there with significant training, but it'll take some time. So I would look at the time period, and that's also once again related to attachment and transference. And um, I noticed uh, literally in the last month, I confronted one of my first, and it's one of the big tantra schools, I confronted one of my first tantra teachers, and I haven't been in a training with him in about five years, right? That was the last time I was in a training. And I could still feel the level of intimidation to take him on and to call out what I was seeing as very inappropriate behavior. I, and I'm a pretty, you guys can probably all tell on the video, I'm not afraid to speak my truth and, you know, my, I chant so much. My throat chakra is very open. And even for me, I could still feel the effects of the transference all those years later. Yeah. So, yeah. So, ASECT, which is the American Association for Sex okay. Educators and Therapies and cook- Counselors. There, thank you. Yeah, I'm getting that wrong. But ASECT, ASECT has seven years. Yes. MFTs, you know, therapists, talk therapists, have a two year waiting period and they're not even touching a body. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't have like an exact time frame that works uh, for you, but. Um, somebody was referencing, oh, you know, I I met my wife and she was my dakini and he said, we just transition things. And the challenge with that was, in this particular instance, he booked her for a VIP session, which a VIP intensive over a week, and they worked together every day for a week. But within the week, they already became lovers. That transition is too quick. We have to end that container and shift that relationship and see if they're ready after cooling down period to then look at re-engaging again. Yeah. So the, the time period, a lot of people are not quite agreeing on it, but I think it needs to be quite significant. Two months feels way too little to me. Six months, I mean, for sexual healing, even that feels way too little for me. That's for somebody who comes to a group workshop with me. You know? Yeah. That's that's one piece. And I would love to really see there being um, some kind of board or council or organization holding people accountable. And um, I just, that doesn't feel like part of my dharma, the integrity piece that you and I both resonate on. And yes. like life back to this practice, that I'm a full yes to. But um, for example, the, the, the Dakas and Dakinis I mentor, they know. I, I, I said to them, if... If you cross a boundary, because I have very clear, defined boundaries, like no mouth-to-mouth kissing, no intercourse, no oral sex, don't date your students, no drugs, that sounds so obvious, don't take drugs with your students, um, it's in the tantra world. I, I honestly, I like to speak about that because I really, for anybody who's watching, if you're going to go to an event where alcohol and drugs, even marijuana or pot, is allowed, I invite you to run away <laughs> because I can, I mean, I hold a lot of fent and, and it's just, when we bring these people, we actually help them their body to bring into the ecstasy and that the dopamine the serotonin all the neurochemicals that actually goes into the brain the reality we're creating another reality within that container within themselves so bringing in another ingredient that it, aren't these events supposed to help the person to be in the body 
I don't even do, I, you know, I don't even invite people to ayahuasca. I, any of the viewers, you know, you go to one of my videos on YouTube that really talk about ayahuasca, the benefits and the harms and everything about it because it's here. We have the potency to, to create all those chemicals within ourselves. You know, it's great to have a memory and maybe just do it at one time, like a tiny little piece of it, like ayahuasca, right? Like that's what the, the real shamans give you just to reactivate that memory within your body. But you are so beyond powerful to create all that within you. So to be in training as an event where people are using drugs and alcohol, it's just very counterproductive and go against actually the purpose itself of helping them to be in their body. I just, right. I just don't get it. I... <laughs> yeah, well, I speak to that actually again um, from Peter Levine and people asking him, you know, what, what are occasions when you won't work with somebody? And one of the things he highlighted actually was, and, and this is not my boundary, this is Peter Levine's boundary, but if if they were, um, you know, consistent marijuana users, he, he wouldn't work with them because his process of somatic experiencing is all about getting in touch with sensations in the body. And he said if it's somebody who's using it every day, that's dampening. That's shutting down the responses in the body and stopping the motivation to create the shifts. And he wants that motivation, so he's got energy to work with. Yes. And I found it quite interesting. And he's not talking about the odd joint here or there. But I, I also think when, firstly, Tantra is already such powerful magic. We're already playing with such a potent modality. You can't keep adding fire to the fire, right? No. So... If it's stick with that one modality and there's already enough. I'm an intensity junkie. There's already plenty <laughs> of intensity there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but again, coming, and we're in the age of me too, so coming to consent. If somebody's altered, if they're stoned or if they're, goodness, if they're drunk, if they're needing alcohol, like, why do they need the alcohol to be comfortable enough to be in the experience? You know, I would ask those questions behind the conversation. And I will say, you know, I have students, often they're anxious or nervous, and some of them will come and they will have had a joint before the session, and I don't make them wrong for that. I'll just say, you know, next time, I, this is a consciousness practice. This is yoga, mm -hmm. right? So we're really trying to be as present and as conscious as can be, and I want you to get high on the energy. Yeah. Right. Energy high to the more delicious, delicious, delicious. So <laughs> that's my that's my high energy. Uh, so how can we tell who is a qualified practitioner and where can we find them? Okay. Um, so can I add one more piece to your last question just because I started it and then we went off on this wonderful tangent about uh, not using drugs and mixing modalities. Um, but just about with my mentees, I literally said if you if you make a mistake because – we are human, and sometimes we mess up. And I want, pe I want there to be a place where people can make a mistake and then rectify it and come back into integrity, right? So I said to them, if you cross one of the boundaries I've given you it, for the way I want you to hold your sessions, you come and tell me about it. If I hear it, and I, this is like my own counsel that I hold for my students because I know I can hold them accountable. I'm like, I will... You can't say you meant it by me if you're not holding the boundaries I've asked you to keep. And if you come and tell me, you and I can work on a path to support you with supervision, 
or whatever it is and figure out what happened so that it doesn't happen again. Great, then we work together. But if I hear about it from somebody else, I'll take you off as an approved practitioner on my website and I, I, I will no longer vouch for you and you can't use my name. And I know they respect me so much as a teacher. I, I really don't believe they would do that because we've, you know, we've gone on this long, long journey. So just needed to add that in. So you were asking how do you find, um, uh, how do you find a good practitioner? How do you know who could be a qualified practitioner as a client? Right. That is such an important question. And I actually wrote a blog, which I'm happy to share with you in the links. I'll send you the links afterwards so that people have a reference. But so often you hear about people who've had a negative experience or they've left a session feeling unsure. And I remember getting an inquiry like this by a woman and, um, on social media one day. And she said, you know, I was offered a free session and... Um, I was kind of curious what Tantra was about, but then the guy said to me that I needed to have sex, and I mean intercourse, not when I'm using with sex, in the session, but I have a boyfriend, and I kind of trusted him, so I went along with it, but I'm, I'm really, is this what Tantra is all about? And so this is what prompted this blog, actually, because I'm like, we have to, there's so many people that are new and just curious, and just like we would with a doctor or a lawyer, again, there's the transference, we go, oh, they must know better than me. The most important thing is trust yourself and trust your gut. And if something feels off, listen to that, even if you're being overly cautious, because most of the time you're not. So that's mm -hmm. probably a right start. But there are also a number of different things that you can choose to check somebody out. So ask about their credentials and where they've studied. They in my opinion, I'm a, I'm kind of a technique geek. Like if you like you say you do massage, right? You can say which schools you've trained in or which modalities you've trained in. And anybody offering um, hands-on uh, healing or hands-on tantra, even if it's not healing, should be healing. But hands-on tantra should, in my opinion, have studied with a school or at the very least have been in a lineage, I think lineage is also powerful, where they've actually been trained and, and had the had the shakti part with the guru, the transmission with the guru. So ask them about that. And I think the best teachers actually have a wide range of teachers. Then look and see if they are listed on that school's website as an approved practitioner. So it's not just, I mean, anybody could make a certificate on the internet these days, but I, most people don't ask to see my certificates, but they're up in my session room. So if somebody asks, they're right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can go find me. For example, I've studied with Barbara Corellis uh, at Urban Tantra, and I love her approach. She's a wonderful, uh, she, she has a very expanded view of, of energy play and what Tantra can be. And you can find me and many other practitioners on her website. So now it backs up the, you know, my claims. And look at the person's website. If this person's really a professional, they're going to have a website, even if it's just one page. What business do you know these days that you can't Google? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> um, I would also ask them to send you some testimonials. Ideally, they'll have those on the website, but I often... I have both mine on my website, and I, I email them to the person. And if they don't have anything in writing, uh, I had a student say this once 
I was working with a 92-year-old man in Boston, and and he said, oh, well, how do I know your testimonials are real? And I said, I can give you the phone number of one of my students, and you can talk to them and ask them whatever you like about my sessions, right? So there should be a way you can verify the quality of their work. Um, and you can check in with other Tantra professionals. I often have people message me saying, oh, you know, I'm considering working with this person or this teacher, what do you think? And I do my best only to share when I'm actually asked. <laughs> but, yeah, like, can somebody else say that, that they're a reputable person and have, have, you know, women talk a lot, and I actually love that, because women will tell you if they've had a good experience with a practitioner, and they'll also tell you if they've had a negative experience. Mm-hmm. So trust go to your girlfriends and ask if you, if you know, know people. Um, or look on Facebook and see what the big, who, who are the big tantra teachers that are talking, and ask them about about that person. I also recommend talking to the person on the phone. And a lot of um, you know, I'm I'm very busy with my private practice and my workshops and and all the trainings I'm offering and the retreats. So I, I can't always meet people in person. If they want to meet me in person, I say they come to one of my classes and have an experience of me there. And then then I spend, I invest 30 minutes on the phone with them. And some people have forms, and I, I get the efficiency of that. But for me, this is such an intimate practice. I want to know who's walking through my door just as a practitioner. So talk to them on the phone and, and get a feeling for them. Yeah. Uh, if they are offering you a free session, your first question should be why? Because just like a doctor or, and it's not that I can never do free sessions or trades with my friends, but you know, it's uh, for a three hour session, that's a five hour commitment for me and an incredible amount of energy. And then I have to take downtime after the session, you know? So if they genuinely are professional, they're probably going to be charging just like a therapist or a doctor or a lawyer would. None of those come free, or sometimes they offer sliding scale or something. But um, so I would really ask the person, why are you offering me a free session? What's in this for you? Yeah. And an exception to that, you know, when when I am mentoring my dakas and dakinis, I say to them, you should go out and do a lot of free sessions while you're still learning. You need a lot of practice before you're ready to start charging. So asking the why will give you a lot of information. And the red flags for me is if somebody is pushing your boundaries. And I've had very well-known teachers. I've said, you can't touch the front of my neck. And four times they overrode that. They said, no, 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 we're going to work with the neck. And it you really want to have them listen to you. Maybe it's that, you know, you, you, you don't want pressure on your knee or your, the, your lower back is hurting. Like, are they really listening and giving you the opportunity to share your boundaries at the beginning of the session, to share their boundaries at the beginning of the session, and then to maintain those throughout. And one doesn't have to be naked people often ask this do you have to be naked i mean i think things feel so much better if you're touching the skin because they're more nerve endings than through clothes but i could literally do everything i do without even putting my 
hands and physically touching the body. Uh, we've talked about the pressure to have sex. That's a big no-no. And if they can't provide real testimonials that you can check out, then um, I would start questioning. I would start questioning that. Uh, they can give you anonymous ones, or they can. Most people are at least willing to share their first name. Um, and then also, you can look at it and see. Many tantra teachers often have a range of ways they can support you, like with classes or workshops and retreats. Or like I have free blogs on my website and my YouTube channel and my Facebook page. Are these people genuinely interested in supporting your journey versus? coercing you into an experience so yeah. that's some of what I would some of what I would look for yeah definitely I feel like uh, for me the one, the biggest thing uh, easiest biggest thing would be like just attend a workshop of these individuals like just get a sense of it get in person a sense of it and also many times in the workshop you can actually understand deeper uh, uh, the you know who they sh how they show up like how they can hold the container in there many times uh we you know we go to worship and the practitioner self is not fully present or has some stuff going on with their family and they cannot be fully there so if you cannot hold space for me and for like other 20 people or something like that how can i expect you to hold space for me when i'm going through my process I'm a very sensitive person when it comes to energy because even when a massage school massage yourself, I don't let anybody massage. People want to massage me. They're like, I want to give you a free massage, whatever. And I'm like, no, thank you. I, it's, it's like I have these gifts where I can like, I, you know, I've learned to surrender to, to surrender, to surrender. My partner, the only one can literally touch me with get doing any kind of body work or somatic work or the armor, you know, whatever, because he is aligned with me and and he's like I can touch when people touch me I can feel and I sometimes I can feel the struggle and the suffering so now I have to work their shit <laughs> like through my relaxation time because they're not able to hold the container so and the same thing happened with events like sometimes you have to you have to help to work the practitioner the one that's holding the container their stuff that they have going on because they overwhelm and uh, so definitely I feel like one of the biggest things to look up is like Callan saying just <clears throat> check out their web you know not just the website some people write you know hire copywriters and they're very good in copywriting but to me the most important is the blogging and the and the event if you if I can read your blog and how you express yourself that it's actually come from you. I can feel you. So those would be like something that I would like to tighten it up to while you share. Really, really powerful. I've heard this video so much lately. I haven't written a blog for a while. <laughs> but I, I like the video because it's, you know, live and you yeah. can get a different info to somebody. So. so these are going to be my deeper insight. Um, and this has been... Um, I wrote this because of the other interview that we had and because everything that is happening in the community, especially with the Me Too DACA's uh, movement, you know, the whole awareness of, of what is happening. And I came to kind of like a sort of conclusion, um, that semi-conclusion, that sometimes, you know, um, 
we cannot just address the practitioners that they're not, you know, not, they're just not there <laughs> with themselves to hold space, but also, like Helen was talking about, you know, the schools that they learned from, they must be held responsible of, 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 of what actually is happening. So, so bear with me, my English and reading aspect of it, which I'm pretty getting good at it. So, and finally, these questions are to bring awareness to practitioners and teachers of sexual healing, daikini trainings and certification. Of the many trainings and certifications I have participated in, and I am aware of from other colleagues who have taken all the trainings from recognized sacred sexuality schools, genital touch, massage, and de-amoring, it stopped from the beginning of the certification training without proper pre-emotional and psychological preparation of the training. We find these certifications are offered to anyone without pre-qualifications and screening. We have witnessed re-traumatization happening because deep wounds and emotional triggers come up to the surface. And these are not properly addressed and supported with practical tools during training because of the lack of time. Many times they have just two weeks <laughs> training. <laughs> we have witnessed new practitioners start doing healing work with genitals from the beginning of the practice because that is how it was taught to them. And they have experienced their healing. While more experienced practitioners are continuing to discuss whether sexual touch may or may not be a part of the healing session. It is not something that is offered in the beginning, the first session. It may take them over 10 sessions before they experience simple conscious touch in their body without any genital touch. Should these schools offering certifications involving genital touch reevaluate their curriculum and create pre-requirement for program, address an emotional psychological concept, and provide practical tools that can be offered in person or online before their certification training. Should these schools offer support to their new practitioners after their training, create continuing education programs, and provide resources for the student to keep a high level of professionalism and integrity in this field? Should schools create an accountability system to sustain the integrity of this practice? Finally, can we as practitioners do uh, to create the safest container of healing for our client? So what do you have to say on that? Wow. Oh, I'm falling in love with you with all the passion I feel in all those questions. And, and I mean, could do a whole call on that. And I only have another 20 minutes max. And then I'm actually 19 minutes. And I, I have another appointment. But... Wow, I'm so glad there are more people being in this conversation because sexual healing and even putting hands on the body to offer private sessions is really advanced tantra. And we have to be explored as practitioners in our own shadow. I, you know, I have all sorts of people I work with. I have a mastermind who keeps me in check. I have a supervisor. I have a trauma therapist to work on my own stuff so it's not showing up in the room. I have to continuously be working on myself. And these are all systems that I set up for myself because the school I first trained with didn't require this. And I think I agree with you. There's a real lack of training yeah. that has to happen 
You know, I know schools where on the second day at a beginner's weekend, they're doing hands-on genital work. And I'm like, this is very advanced. And it's juicy. People want this. And I will say, I teach one day just because in case people call me out, my students always hold me in line if I say something that's out of alignment, which I love. But, like, I, I do teach classes in a day on um, awakening the G-spot and female ejaculation. That's what I'm teaching. And in that class, mostly what I'm teaching, presence, intimacy, slowing down, stillness. We happen to include the genitals, but that's most and communication. That's mostly what we're teaching. It's just they don't sign up for the workshop if you say that. So, <laughs> so yes, I really, I'm really. My greatest desire is not. I'm not trying to take down any of the schools. Uh, this there is power in the work that they're doing, but I think there needs to be a humility that comes in at at, at the fact that these practices are very advanced. And part of why I started Sarasa Tantra was I saw the missing gaps. And I'm like, there's not enough foundation mm-hmm. in people. And if I'm going to train people, we've got to put that in. Yeah. So, yes, people have to have come to at least a weekend workshop with me, if not a week-long introductory training. Then they have to do um, two modules of a group facilitator training. We haven't even touched the body, Right. And then they can come and start learning over a few-month process to begin working with the body. And then I invite them actually to go away for another year and practice. And then we come back and look at the session. And then you're just starting. I say to them, now you're just starting to be ready to to maybe think about offering this. Yeah. Sexuality was always a playground for me. I have plenty of other trauma, but I don't have sexual trauma. And so I didn't realize until I was already working as a Dakini what deep shadow work this is. I've had to go and do a lot of Brene Brown's work, who does amazing work on shame, um, to really understand and start uncovering. And this question of supervision, I think it is essential because it's so easy, this work, because it's so, it's wonderfully edgy, but it can so easily be a slippery slope. And there's that quote from the Bible that says, anything kept in darkness will be shouting from the rooftops. So shouted from the rooftops. So when we don't have anybody holding us accountable, when we don't have anybody that we're saying, oh, I'm just noticing, I'm, you know, I have a crush on this person. The minute you speak it, it just kind of dissipates the energy. But if you allow that to fester, that's when things can start going sideways. So if you don't have a supervisor, call a friend at the very least, another, you know, somebody you know from Chantra School and say, hey, I just got to, that's what I used to do in the beginning. I didn't have a supervisor then. No, I needed a supervisor. <laughs> but but go do that. And, and the other thing that I'm just in awe of is that so often the containers, the, the energetic, because this is really a huge energetic practice, with sexual healing being so advanced, People need to have a big enough container to hold what's going to arise in this session. And just like you referenced ayahuasca, ayahuasca can be very potent if it's held properly. And yeah. frequently it's not held properly and all sorts of shadow is coming in. I had a student who was, uh, you know, a leader in the, in the ayahuasca community and she got out of it and she was like, she had all these entities that had attached to her. That's not even my work, but it really opened my eyes. So we want to be mindful of how powerful this work is and go and learn. I 
encourage my students to go even after they've worked with me to do a two-year energy training to learn how basic things like grounding. I teach yeah. a lot of ground now, but people don't know how to ground. I didn't know how to ground, and I've been trained as a Dakini, and I had all this energy moving. So mm. get a little off topic. So coming back to the schools, yes, I'm really hoping that the there's so many, um, especially women, but I'm also seeing men come forward now, talking about how they've been traumatized in session. Some of them... This is sad to talk about, but how they've even been raped in session, how they've had their boundaries violated. This has to stop. This really has to stop. And it's not about making other people wrong, um, but the whole point of this practice is supposed to be about more consciousness and healing. And if we've lost our way, let's like hold hands and find a way to support each other in coming back into the light. And I heard a wonderful story last week. Um, it was a guy and there'd been a few complaints about him and he was willing to get on the phone with a, a mediator and, and the, the woman who had received a session from him and he was willing to listen to what her experience was. And he just honestly was clueless. He didn't know that he had violated her and he dropped into his heart and into compassion and this, beautiful healing happened. That's the vision that I'm hoping, that we can let go of the egos. And it's, you know, it's tricky. I run a tantra business. And if you're living in the West, people often say, oh, it's a spiritual practice. You shouldn't charge. You know what? I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's expensive. Even, you know, even I hang out in the bhakti yoga, the kirtan and chanting communities. And and even there, they charge to go to kirtan because you've all got to pay rent. It's okay. Most people don't work for free. That's great if you can do that, but maybe you need a trust fund. I don't have one of those. So I charge for my services. And I get that when you're trying to fill a program, you've got to get enough. You know, there's this, I get the struggle of trying to have enough people enrolled and still make enough of a profit. And we can't, I've walked out of sessions in, in one of the schools I was training in because the person, they didn't even have the space held and I didn't feel safe. I'm like, I can't receive from you now. So, and I watch, I watch people being graduated that are just not ready. I failed. I outright failed one person from my mentorship program, which was, oh, so agonizing. And another one of the, um, people from last year, I said, you know, you've got some more work to do. You've got some more work to do. And then I, I laid out some of the steps for that. And then I said, after that, we'll reassess where you're at then. And that was, you know, I, I like to say, oh, I'm all about integrity. That was so hard. Integrity can be hard to walk out in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? That was, oh, yeah. You know, I felt bad, but it was the right thing to do because yeah. then it actually held the quality of the qualification, actually became more valuable for the students that did graduate as well. And then we also, we're not putting people, this is so dangerous, people are told after Ten a ten day training. They are told you're totally competent to hold for everything. That is irresponsible and untrue. We have to know our limits. The things I can't hold for. It's why I work with therapists. Seventy, at least seventy percent of people in the United States are trauma survivors. Seventy percent. Yeah. I spoke to a trauma expert on that. They said that that number is way too low. So the likelihood of us touching bodies with trauma is like you, I just expect it now. Mm-hmm. trauma is it's such a large subject and even therapists even MFTs marriage and family therapists 
aren't trained in trauma. Yes. Even then, I was so shocked to learn that. So we need to have allies that we can, you know, use different modalities, refer out. If somebody's, if like, if somebody's disassociating and they're not here, I'll work with them for a while. But after a few sessions, I'm like, go and get some trauma therapy to help you. I'm even doing that with a couple I'm coaching right now. I'm like, your trauma issues are upsetting your relationship. Go and get that healed. And I said, you can do it with me, but it'll be slower. I've got somebody else you can go and do it with. And she's an expert. Go and do it with her. So we need to not be afraid of the scarcity. And we need to refer out and know we can't hold for everything. That's true of anybody, even a heart surgeon. There are things they can't do, right? Yes, and and sometimes it's great to have different perspective. Like I always, when I talk to clients that they have issues, especially with like men to have erectile dysfunction or women who have issues, you know, like because I work with a lot of business people, and I'm like, well, you don't give one person in your company the whole spectrum of your business, do you? You one person doesn't do the marketing, one person doesn't is not the CEO, the CFO, and all of that, right? You can't expect one person to be the boardroom of your life. You know, you have to have at least 20 people in there, and a team of people working in your business. So let's take that perspective of how you run your business. Are you a business owner or a business operator? So if you're a business owner, you're just stuck <laughs> because you're doing everything yourself. If you're a business operator, you have all the people doing the work that you need to get it done. So the same thing happened when it comes to healing. Like you, we have to have a team of people uh, working together, and and it's so powerful that whole aspect of referral. So really, really important to create that team of well-being. Let's call it the well-being boardroom oh, of yeah. my life, right? <laughs> Let's bring the tantra practitioner, the massage therapist, the psychologist. The, you know, the yoga instructor, let's bring all these people and have my network because it's great to even just create a party one day, like a Christmas party and bring them all together to get to know each other and then make friends and have that. I feel like, I feel like we, I, I don't know because I have such a passion for business. That I feel like all my type of relationship are like, even with myself, it, it must be a business kind of like a matter because it's the vehicle of my soul's, you know, journey. So if I can address my life like that, it, it you know, it sounds yummy. It sounds delicious. <laughs> it orgasmic. <Yeah. laughs> so thank you so much for your time, for mm. your dedication, for your commitment. I am really passionate. Uh, I don't know if that's the word, the right adjective in English, but I'm so passionate about, about your work and, uh, um, yeah, sometimes I confuse my, my adjective and my verse. <laughs> I'm like, what? Passionate is a great word for the way I'm watching you show up today. So really thank you so much for, for saying yes to us. So how people can find you. Mm. Well, I do make myself quite available to people because I this work is so powerful and I want people to be able to find it if that's the right choice for them. Mm-hmm. So they can go to my website, which is carolinecarrington.com and uh, we can send them the links, right? We can pop them in the Facebook Live afterwards and on the YouTube, so we'll do that for you. But Caroline... That's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E. And Carrington is with a C as well. 
And then um, to learn about the teacher trainings, and I actually have one coming up. Uh, May 18th we're starting. So uh, you may have studied with another school to start off with, and you may still qualify for my program. We could have a chat about that. But learn more about Sarasa Tantra. And Sarasa means juicy, potent, full of life, and full of love. One of my favorite Sanskrit words. And Sarasa is S-A-R-A-S-A. Sarasa. And then Tantra, T-A-N-T-R-A, dot com. Those are the two quickest ways to find me. You can access my blogs, my workshops, my websites. And come and connect with me on Facebook, as you and I, that's where you and I first met, because I share so much free information there. And it's a lovely way to be in community with people all around the world um, who are talking about this and wanting to explore the gems Tantra has to offer. Thank you so much. And I love when I was reading this um, Sarasha, I remember from like the the word, the S and the R, like the really powerful uh, like mantra words just for the activating your your you know arousal central energy so it's like oh sarasa <laughs> so beautiful love it. Word in the mouth what i love about the sanskrit is because of the placement of the tongue with each of the letters it activates extra energy yeah. point i i like want to get as much out of each practice that i do so yes thank love you appreciate you so thank we you have so yeah thank you so we have Great uh, comment. We have Docs say hello, and we have a nudge came over say hello. Wendy has been with us the whole time. Wendy Log, thank you so much, Wendy, for watching us. We love you. Appreciate your words. She she like participated through the whole time. She's like, well, thank you for your precious words. Love of life. Um, and awesome. So she uh, is in two weeks, the training that you have, right? That's what she's asking. Um, a little over two weeks because I'm about to go to the Caribbean to swim with whale sharks. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be a little after that. It starts the first module is May 18th to the 22nd in Oakland. And I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link so we can add that. Yeah, and you can I'll add it. And another call I'm getting on in a minute, but All right. um, we'll go awesome. and look at the comments and then, and then respond if there's something we didn't get to. Thank you. And thank you, Sergio, for stopping by. We love you guys. Thank you again. So if you want to find out more about me, you can go to luciagabriela.com. And you can also go to here in Florida, Sarasota, a Nuna Holistic Retreat Center for Emotional and Sexual Healing. We are commitment to bring these amazing speakers in the next couple of weeks to actually share more awareness and clarity into what sexual healing is and what is not so stay tuned for tomorrow we have another amazing speaker and then we have thursday and friday so we really oh. booked this whole week so i'm really excited so thank you everyone thank you Kellen again blessing love to you guys bye bye bye